This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Returning to Main Street America is Garrett Jones. He's an expert on the subject of market cycles. Over his career, he's helped build three money management firms, including Evans & Jones, which he formed with Don Evans in the 1980s. Garrett is a featured speaker at a number of international monetary conferences, both domestically and abroad. He's the author of numerous articles throughout all the media and a guest frequently on uh, all the popular radio, television, and other outlets. Garrett, welcome back to Main Street America. Thank you. Of course, we're in an interesting time, uh, and your study, your work, is largely grounded and based in the concept of cycles. We've covered this before. Give us a sense of where we are now. Give us some sort of normality to what you're seeing in the markets as we see gold screaming uh, in the 1900 and perhaps north of that soon. Uh, David, that's a good point. Um, One of the reasons that I got involved in studying cycles uh, was I looked back at the, uh, you know, the greatest... uh, event in our history, which was the Great Depression, and I went back to see if there was any type of methodology uh, that predicted that, uh, because I thought if, if that was the case, uh, now many years have gone by, it would probably be nice to be uh, aware of that. And one that did was uh, Kondratiev, the, the K-wave, which is basically what I call the long wave cycle, which basically lasts about the average lifetime of a human being. So I started to study that, and then upon studying it and refining it, and and now it's been, you know, probably 40 years uh, of looking at it, I came, uh, I analyzed and came up with a sequence of events in the cycle. I didn't come up with it. I I just defined what that sequence of events was. People have a tendency in cycles to attach them to time, and, you know, if it's Halley's Comet, then you can do that. But if it's an economic cycle, sometimes they expand, sometimes they contract. And uh, in this case, I thought that knowing the sequence of events of the cycle would be more important than the time, just in case you had an expanded cycle or, or a contracted cycle. So to answer your question, the key on that is to find out where we are, and then if you know what the sequence of events in the cycle are, and you know where you are, then you know what's next to come, and hopefully you won't be surprised by it, number one, and number two, are in a position to be able to plan for it. In specific terms, Garrett, right now, uh, how would you characterize the point of the cycle we're in, just for our listeners that are concerned or just curious? 
Well, I, I think, you know, this has been a very difficult cycle for the professionals to make any sense of. And what's nice about knowing the sequence of events in the cycle is it does that for you and makes this perfectly logical. A lot of times people don't want to hear the answer <laughs> to the question, and this may be one of those times. But by and large, uh, every 40 years or so, uh, something bad happens in the cycle, and every other 40 years, something really bad happens. So, in other words, every 80 years or so, so you run the serious risk of going into a depression and, and a debt default and so forth. And if you look at what's going on, uh, we seem to be moving along and confirming in that direction. We're certainly not doing anything. I mean, it was a matter of a, a week or two ago that we were concerned about a default uh, and, and the comments that the country's never defaulted before with you know the debt ceiling problem. Yeah. The, country, the country has defaulted before. Uh, in reality, uh, back in 1971, Nixon closed the gold window because uh, the French were going to come over with barges and, and, and make good on that exchange for uh, paper dollars for gold at $35 an ounce, which would have been a pretty good move. Yeah. Nixon fortunately closed the window, and we, we haven't honored our silver certificates since 1966, so we've defaulted before. Okay, different form of default maybe, but yeah, still really technically it is a default, right? Well, a default's a default. A default is when you owe money and you don't pay it. Yeah, there you go. You know, uh, or when you back out on an agreement. So in, in default is part of the cycle. We are in the phase of the cycle right now. Uh, I mean, I'll give you some of these these phases. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. You have, if you go back in time, like to the '80s, you had a uh, you had a new technology, which of course was the computer, and that brought about uh, a great move in the stock market in the '90s into the top in 2000. Uh, it it went into overproduction. You had a stock market peak. Then you had a stock market crash, which was that initial crash of the technology stocks. If you recall, um, you know, the over-the-counter market um, dropped, you know, over 70%. So pretty, pretty serious crash. Um, then you had disinflation um, uh, over that time period. Disinflation is merely a inflation at a lesser rate. And then disinflation becoming deflation because the problem that we're seeing now, of course, is the assets that we own, and I'm going over the past few years, but the assets that we own uh, are going down in value. Uh, the necessities, those things that we have to buy, are going up in price, and the medium of exchange that we have to use in which to make that purchase is losing its purchasing power. So right. you have the worst of all worlds, and hence, hence uh, this is something that brings up uh, concern. So. Here's what follows the disinflation becomes deflation step in the cycle. The next is bankruptcies and liquidation. Uh, that's due to the deflation, unemployment, and the high debt level. Yeah. Um, you have debt default, uh, which is where individuals and corporations belly up on their debt. That clearly, that's happening. Um, you know, we're seeing that in the mortgage market. We're seeing that with individual bankruptcies and corporate bankruptcies um, and so forth. Um, the next is a ultimately a stock market bottom, which is brought about by total capitulation. Uh, we've had, you know, minimal capitulation going back into 2008 and early 2009 when people didn't want stocks and they had the largest um, as such, you know, you had the largest decline in 77 years in the in the benchmark S&P. And then finally, the stock market always leads the economy. 
Um, so after your stock market bottom, you'll have an actual economic bottom, which is probably where you'll have bank closings and debt restructuring and remonetization and new currency, probably a, a new thing, something like Bretton Woods and, and so forth. And then you'll probably bring gold. I mean, last time they brought gold back into the picture because we had a problem, you know, hence we made the dollar as good as gold. and. Clearly, it's on the other end of that cycle. It's uh, yeah. reason that's go- the reason that gold is going up as much as it is is obviously because the dollar isn't as good as gold at this point in time. That's fascinating. So, from what I'm hearing, all of this is quite possible looking forward. Oh well, I mean, it's being confirmed every day. Okay. And, and, and the other confirmation is that the news media isn't picking up on it. They're looking, as as always, they're looking for a bull market every day, which is great. I mean, that's. <laughs> Positive outlook, yeah, right. but I don't want to be crossing an intersection with a positive outlook that I can go when the light's red and get hit by a truck. That's the difference. Exactly. We're visiting with Garrett Jones. He is, of course, uh, an expert in market cycles and uh, is uh, seen all over the media, including here on Main Street America. And we're so uh, fortunate and lucky to have you contextualize all this in terms of uh, market cycles. Um, Garrett, what are you, uh, or let me ask it this way, what should Americans be doing with their money? Uh, Anything different than what we seem to be seeing, which is a movement into metals and, and actually hard assets? In a good time, in other words, if we had the bottom, like the bottom of the last cycle in 1933, you could do anything. I mean, you could buy real estate, you could buy stocks, you could buy uh, a company, uh, you know, pretty much pretty much anything. And the, the one concern that I would say right now is that what happens with most people is they're used to having these bottoms every four years or so, and then the market goes on to new and higher highs. Yeah during the cycle. When you get into to the cycle that we're in, which is a secular bear market, you go longer and further than people expect. Uh, along the cycle, it's no big deal. But when you're at the ends of the cycle, it's a very big deal because when you define what's really going on, uh, the, the nature of a cycle, a big cycle, is that you go from a period of extreme conservatism to extreme liberalism. You go from a period of extreme undervaluation to a period of extreme overvaluation. Now, people are wondering whether this market's topped or if there's been a top or whatever, and that's just my point. There's a very real and clear top uh, and time period when this market topped, and that was in 2000. That was the valuation high. It was the overvaluation high. It was the real high if you if you price the market in terms of gold or, or a stable yardstick. That was the high. If you took a look at the NASDAQ, which really was the lead market, the NASDAQ currently back in 2000 was the equivalent to the Dow Jones in 1929. It topped then, didn't come anywhere near making new highs ever since then. Um, the institutional index, which is what institutions are doing, and they pretty much dominate the market, that index topped in the year 2000. It came up, many indices went up and made a higher high in 2000. The S&P, the Dow, uh, you know, a lot of the small caps, uh, some of them made significantly higher highs, and people point to that. But your lead markets didn't. 
your institutional index made it, could only make a 61.8% Fibonacci correction of the top in 2000 in 2007. So it was substantially lower, and, and on this recent turn that happened in May, we're lower than that. We're at about a 618 re retracement again. So what, what does that mean? It means that this secular bear market started in 2000, and we're in the 12th year of that secular bear market. So what's the good news of that? Well, the good news is that 12 years of the bear market are out of all, 11 years of the bear market are out of the way. So sooner or later, and the other thing is, think of it this way: uh, the last major cycle, 1932, July of 32, was the stock market bottom. The Dow lost 90 percent of its value. The economy bottomed in 33. So. You get the stock market and the economic bottom out of the way. Now, granted, you had a depression or depression-type time for 15, maybe even 20 years. Some people could make the argument that in 1953, you know, we were 20 years later, we were just coming out of it. As a matter of fact, yeah. the stock market didn't even recover to the peaks of 1929 until 1954, and real estate, it took that long, too. So, but the key that we're concerned with as investors is when the heck does the bottom in the stock market happen? Right. So we're 12 years into that, and, and the odds are that it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And due to the fact that, you know, the, the motivating forces here are greed and fear, oddly enough, both negative, uh, but one of them gets prices running on the upside and the other on the downside, and... Most of us run a little faster when we're feeling fear than when we're feeling greed. Markets do the same thing. So ultimately, when we turn around and move back down, we're in an election period now, so the cycle is basically positive. We're also in a positive seasonality coming into um, you know, Labor Day here. So yeah. um, those things are good. But after that time period, we probably ought to watch it. It would seem that... Uh, you know, maybe we're pushing the envelope here, and since we now know where we are in the cycle, uh, we know what's coming up, and, it, and, and there's still some negative things and some things that would imply that things would get pushed down. Uh, one, uh, one cautionary thing, by the way, back to answering your question, what should people do? Sure. Bad market, uh, or at, at this phase of the cycle, when you're at the end of the cycle, you have a, not very many choices. I mean, theoretically, you don't want to be in stocks. Interest rates are very low. Why would you take, and everybody's pushing, pushes people into bonds. Like they say, oh, if you don't want to be in stocks, you want to be in bonds. Right. That doesn't make sense. Bonds are debt. Why would you buy debt in a debt default, number one? Why would you take the risk of buying bonds when you're not getting paid for that risk? Interest rates are very low. And if interest rates are very low, by definition, at some point they're going to turn up, and when they turn up, bond prices go down. So for me, there's no reason in the world to buy bonds. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, it's probably not a good time to buy stocks. So if you can't buy stocks and bonds, or if that doesn't make sense, that that takes the American investor and puts him in a real quandary. And we know that uh, you know one of the problems on real estate is, again, at this stage of the cycle, people buy too soon. And what's been happening? People have been rushing in and buying these quote-unquote cheap real estate prices only to find out that maybe they're not finished going down. Yeah, fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Real estate, your, your typical investments that insurance companies buy are stocks, bonds, and real estate. And I'm just telling you that stocks, bonds, and real estate right now don't look too good. So what do you do? Well, you don't have too much of a choice. By and large, uh, you want to be in cash. And, uh, and when you're in cash and you're looking at low interest rates, the argument is, well, gee, I'm not getting any, uh, any return on my money. 
And it's that at this point, kind of like Will Rogers said in the last cycle, uh, every every now and then, uh, I'm not so much uh, return. Uh, I'm not so much concerned with the return on my money as I am the return of my money. Yeah. And yeah. I think we're there. I, I I think we're really there. And mm-hmm. I would put out one cautionary note. I, I haven't heard other people say, but uh, I guess I'm going to stick my head out of my shell and say it. Please. Uh, people didn't think that real estate would be a problem. Real estate was the one thing that everybody could fall back on, and look what happened. Right. And that real estate paper uh, was worthless paper. We are not true with the debt default. The place that people will generally go now will be money market funds. Right, because it's cash, and these are AAA investments. Uh-huh. My thought is this: uh, for the first time in the history of our country, or maybe I should say, for the first time in the history of our country in a long, long time, yeah. uh, we, in my estimation, that may be the next real estate paper market. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term "breaking the buck," but when you're in money market funds, they're they're all priced to the dollar. You know, so you you buy whatever many shares you buy, and they're priced to the dollar. When, yeah. you break, when you break the buck, that means that the valuation of that portfolio goes under one dollar, and that can't happen. Of course, if you have a money market fund, the the one thing that you, you me, and everybody else is always counting on is that they don't go below one dollar. Right. Uh, that happened twice in 2008, and they ran quickly to patch that up because they realized that should that break, that's a sy- systemic failure. In other words, when your money markets fail, you're in trouble. You're in serious trouble. Okay. That happened uh, at that stage of the market. What's the problem now? Well, the problem now is there's, by estimations of some people, as much as a quadrillion dollars uh, in derivatives. I mean, that, that's well beyond my comprehension. Uh, and, and what that means by definition, whether that's the number or it's $600 trillion or make up one that you like, whatever, whatever the number is, it's Disneyland. By that, I mean uh, no, no disrespect to Disneyland. No, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's not Disneyland. It's uh, it's uh, it's Halloween. But the the problem is is that there's no value behind this paper. There's all this paper out there, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing behind it. At the initial level where that agreement was made, where you put your money in and then you get this piece of paper back, th- there you go. That's fine. But when you leverage that over and over and over and over. It's obviously not there anymore. So this is like a death spiral almost on the on the fiat currency. Exactly, you're yeah. way down the road on that. And the only thing that has to the fundamental is is poor. The fundamental is there's a default. You don't have a problem until there's a problem in confidence. See, the reality is the problem's already there. The question is is merely confidence. As long as you're confident, the game will be played. So you've got a lot of cheerleaders out saying that. But the conservative money and the people that realize that there's nothing behind it, um, you know, have already made moves in this. So my my suggestion would be for the average guy on the street, it's tough. You probably want to buy some gold. I mean, almost almost regardless of price, and, and I hate to say that because at some point I'm going to be a seller, but at this stage of the game, you probably want to have some gold. If you don't have some gold, you probably want to have some silver. That's yep. 
gold is is too expensive, then you probably want to add some silver and have that in the form of probably coins. I mean, you can probably still find some of those. So that's important. Maybe some gold and silver stocks, and you've really got to got to pick your stocks wisely, and you really have to use discipline and so forth. And as far as a uh, I mean, me, I, I would uh, look for treasury bills, Swiss treasury bills, is it, or, you know, or, or, or a currency like a, like a Swiss currency. Uh, and I believe that all currencies are fiat currencies, but it's a vis-a-vis game. So okay. the, only, the only vehicle, as far as a U.S. vehicle, uh, in my view, to, to own would be, um, would be a treasury bill. And I and I don't think that's a, you know I mean people say well how in the world can this guy talk against U.S. instruments and their treasury instruments and blah 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 I understand that I mean and the fact of the matter is that that's a, that's an 80 year situation uh, throughout this entire cycle and and at one point the dollar was as good as gold so I would introduce that comment remember the old phrase of many decades ago where the dollar is as good as gold. So you know what? It's not as good as gold anymore. Otherwise, gold wouldn't be at the price that it's at today, even though it's been falling recently. Sure. Fascinating. You know, I mean, so that one, we have to realize where we are and judge things today in 2011 without the mind of the 1950s. I, I mean, I grew up in that era, too. So yeah. I remember those things. Yeah. It's not what's happening today. And if you're talking about U.S. Treasuries and being the safest, you know, Treasury instrument in the planet, yes. But that's something of the past, not of the present. And, okay. uh, and, and if someone wants to go in that direction, in my view, that's an extraordinarily, where it used to be the safest play on this planet, it is now an, incredibly, an incredible speculation. And, and, and when you think about it, uh, Bill Gross, who has uh, you know, the biggest bond fund you know, uh, probably worldwide, right. and he's choosing not to own U.S. Treasuries, I mean, doesn't that, how many more clues does somebody need? Yeah, what, what does that say? It's extraordinary times, and, and I just love how concisely you're able to characterize all of this. Garrett, thanks so much. We're so lucky to have you contributing to Main Street America. He is Garrett Jones, of course, this expert in many things, uh, all things market, uh, including market cycles and contextualizing our uh, markets into cycles. Garrett, we'll do it again for sure. And again, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, David. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>